glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. All right, would you stand please, John chapter 11, and we'll go ahead and read 27 verses, beginning in verse 1. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Martha which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that, saith he to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. His disciples saying to him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus uh, sleepeth, but I go, that I may wake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking rest in sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about fifteen furlongs off, and many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that whatsoever uh, thou wilt ask of God, and but I know that even now whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Thank you. You may be seated. As we look at this text of Scripture, I, I believe it is because the Bible is living... I can read this, and in my mind, I know this took place 2,000 years ago. I know that it took place in a different period of time. And yet, in 2,000 years, human nature is still the same. The human problem is still the same. The answer is still the same. And one of the things that happens is when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, God convinces us of the truth of what the Scripture says about Him to the point we accept the fact it's not mere hearsay or mere Uh, philosophy or ideology, we take it as a fact from God. That's why it's so much easier for a child to come to faith. We just take the Word of God at face value. But the fact of the matter is, as I read this text, the Lord Jesus is being questioned at every turn. 
he's questioned first by his disciples uh, because he says we're going to go into Judea and ultimately they don't want to go there because if you read in John 10 when they were there and Jesus said that he and his father were one, they took up stones to stone him. And so naturally the disciples are not preferring to go back there knowing that they face possible persecution and his arrest or death, uh, so on. Then the, when they go, we find Thomas criticizing and saying, well, let's just all go die together. I mean, if we're going to go, might as well all go die together. When I read texts like this, I say, you know what? It gives me hope because the 12 that he called are just like us, meaning he can still use people that he used them then. The greatness and goodness of Christ has the ability to overcome the foolishness of us. And I'm glad for that, that he is able to teach us and train us to quit behaving like the disciples did. And that that in itself gives me hope to say, you know what? The Lord chose and used Thomas in spite of him and changed him. And I'm grateful he can, or whatever disciple you want to pick, that he can still do that today. I'm trying to say the Lord does not work because he has perfect disciples. He's able to work because he's a perfect savior. So he faces criticism from his disciples then when he gets to Martha and Mary, they are grieving, but they say, Lord, if, if you had just come, you could have made a difference. And he had chosen not to intentionally. There's some, there are some ironic things that are said. The Lord says in, uh, in verse 2 that the, the, sick, the sickness is, I believe it's verse, uh, verse 4 rather, this sickness is not unto death. But then in verse 13, verse 13 or excuse me, 14, he says plainly, Lazarus is dead that seems contradictory to me i don't know about you this is not unto death and then he said but he died well then you know what that makes the lord look like if he says uh, two days prior he hears martha and mary martha sin for him say lord our brother is sick would you please come the bible says when he heard that then and and the bible says he loved them and when he heard that the one that he loved was sick he decided to wait two days let me ask something if somebody you love deeply and dearly was sick and you had the ability to get to them, and you love them, would your response be, well, I'll wait two days, then I'll go. Now here, I'm, I'm just saying all this to say, the ways of the Lord, as Isaiah 55 so aptly says, are not our ways. And we often entreat the Lord for things, and we often ask Him knowing, confident that He can intervene in our circumstance, and because He loves us, He doesn't do what we ask Him to do. Now, if you're a parent tonight, you understand this. There are times that a child asks you for something and you think, I really want to give you that because I know that would make you happy. And because I love you, I want to see you happy. But if I gave you that right now, in the end, it would do you more harm than good. And so I'm going to tell you no because I love you. Because I love you, I'm going to make you wait on what you so desperately... And sometimes it's not, it's a sincere desire, it's a good desire... But we find all kinds of conflict, if you would, in this chapter. And I believe part of the reason is is because of the problem that's faced any time there is human suffering and human difficulty, it creates stress. It creates conflict. There's all sorts of stress involved here. The Lord Jesus' life has been threatened while he's ministering in Judea. Uh, he's telling his disciples, I'm going to take you back. They're questioning his, the sanity of his leadership. I can only hear Thomas saying, ah, he's letting his emotions get in the way. He loves that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus so much that he's letting his emotions get in the way of his better judgment. Lord, don't you remember last time we were there, they tried to stone you. There are times the Lord is leading us, but it looks like he's leading us the wrong way. Can we all agree? (laughs) I believe we can. 
So we ought to be able to plug right in here and say, oh, yeah, I'm one if not more than one of these characters. Uh, Of course, we're not the Lord himself, but we have him with us tonight. So as we look at this tonight, may the Lord help us see whether it's something as serious as a death of a loved one or something less serious but maybe as trying, may we see where we're at and and realize what the fact is that he is the resurrection and the life. He's not was the resurrection of the life. He's not just going to be the resurrection of the life, but he is, and that should make us see things altogether differently. And so as we look at these professions of faith, what we're following is the phrase, I believe, we find Martha professing openly her faith and confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's begin by way of outline with considering the problem that is at hand. The problem at hand. Number one, we come into verse one, we find that Lazarus is sick. There is a disease that's stricken the man's body. And so now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister sister Martha. Verse two, it was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was sick. You can find the account of that in Luke chapter 7. You can also find the account of that in, I believe it's John chapter 12 and a a number of other passages. I believe Mark 14 records it. My personal belief in reading scriptures is she did it twice. I cannot prove that emphatically, but you find the chronology a little different in Luke 7 and Mark 14. But we do know as Mary, uh, the sister of Martha and of Lazarus that anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair, Again, Luke 7 is the most probably detailed account of that, and uh, I encourage you to read that. But the fact is, here's somebody we know the Lord Jesus was in their home on a regular basis. There is a close communion between the Lord Jesus Christ and Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And may I just say this, being close to the Lord does not exempt us from problems. Being close to the Lord Jesus Christ does not give us uh, an exemption from the outcome or the, the, the product or the curse of sin. Lazarus was a godly man. Lazarus was a good man, but he got sick. So for those who are preaching that if you were right with God, you don't get sick. Friend, that's superstition, not Bible. People that love God, people that serve God, people that uh, are close to the Lord, people that are in close and perfect fellowship with God get sick and have problems. Amen? There are different kinds of sicknesses for different reasons. How many of you know there are certain religions that teach you if you're sick or a loved one's sick or died, you did something sinful that brought that on you? They're teaching bad karma. That's not Bible. Amen? I find throughout Scripture people got sick. I read, I believe it was yesterday in my Bible reading, of the widow of Zarephath who fed Elijah the prophet the handful of meal and a little bit of oil and made him her last meal. And then the Lord sustained her over and over. Her little boy got sick and died. Oh, that's a real reward for serving the Lord. Elisha, who, who, who the woman made a little chamber for him in the house, and then God miraculously gave her a boy, and then that little boy got sick and died. Now, God raised both those boys from the dead, showing even in the Old Testament a forecast that for us, death is not final for the child of God. It is not final. Death is not, it is a passageway, not a destination. Now, for the, for the sinner... Death is a passageway into eternal death. But for the saint, for the child of God, for the person who believes the promises of God, death is not permanent. And God wants us to understand that, that we do not need fear death. And Mary and Martha are needing to get a hold of that. And so uh, the Lord allows this sickness. There's a disease that strikes Lazarus. The next problem that comes is that when they send for the Lord Jesus, he delays. And we've looked at this before, but we must understand this. This kind of message helps us to to recognize the hand of God in our lives. 
We might think if you're right with God, when you make prayer requests over serious issues, you get quick answers. Nope. You'll not find any three people in the New Testament any closer in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ than Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. The Bible makes a note that he loved them. Doesn't the Lord love everybody? But when it makes a note out of its scripture, that means there was a unique and special communion between the Lord and these people. And yet, when, the, when Mary and Martha sinned for the Lord Jesus, verse 3, therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. They didn't say, Lord, behold, he whom we love. So, Lord, you love Lazarus. Please come touch him and help him. Verse 4, when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. We must understand God allows certain things in our lives in honor for us through faith in Him to bring glory to Him. And if we try to develop a life that is problem-free, difficulty-free, disease-free, at some point in time, God's going to lead us in a way, and if, we, if our expectation is if God were leading, these problems would go in my life, we'll get out of God's will. We must understand the, the, the things that sinners face in a sin-cursed world, so do saints. And so then there was delay when they sent for the Lord, meaning this, Jesus did not immediately relieve them of their grief. He let Lazarus get sick and die. Can we all agree he had the power to go? He, he made a willful, purposeful decision to not answer their request as they requested it. Absolutely. How many people have gotten out of God's will because when they've lost a loved one? And may I say this? I think it's easy for we who are not in the midst of that grieving process to say people just need to trust God. They do. Amen, they do. But what an opportunity for Satan to get an advantage of us when God does not do what he could do. I cannot tell you the number of people that I've met that are angry at God because they said, God could have spared my mother's life. God could have spared my mate's life. God could have. And what God gave us was an opportunity to to glorify him by receiving the grace to deal with that with the knowledge and the understanding that death for the child of God is not final. And so that's the opportunity for these folks here. And I believe this. God doesn't want us to simply get a hold of this truth hypothetically. He will have us to get a hold of this truth practically resurrection life is literal. Tonight, if you are saved, you have within you not life only, but eternal life, meaning you and I who are saved will never die. That's an absolute. We, you say, well, I know saved people that die all the time. No, you don't. Their body quits working, but they don't die because life is not in the flesh and blood in the sense of eternal life. It's in the Spirit of God. And so then uh, there was the disease that afflicted Lazarus. That tells us that godly people have problems. Number two, there was delay. Godly people don't always get their prayers answered in the manner that they would like. Then there was death. There was death. The death was sudden. The Bible says he was sick. and Within a matter of days, he's dead. It was just a short period of time where the Lord Jesus could have intervened and made a difference in their heartbreak. He could have stopped the pain of his death and his passing from taking place, but he didn't. And so the death was sudden. It was significant, of course, brought great sorrow. We find this one of two places in Scripture where Jesus is recorded as having wept. 
Uh, I find that just so amazing. It's a different, we're not covering the whole chapter, different message. I think it's amazing that though Jesus knew he was on his way to raise Lazarus from the dead, he wept with Mary and Martha, sharing in their grief. That's just amazing to me. Nonetheless, in all of that, the problem, the disease, the delay of the Savior, the death of their brother, and the disappointment that came as a result. We can understand how disappointed they were when Lazarus is declining and declining. They say, did you talk to Jesus? And their friends say, we did. Does he know that it's Lazarus? We told him. Well, is he coming? I don't know. He didn't come when we asked. I don't know. Lazarus is getting worse. And the doctor comes in and says, I am very sorry to tell you. But he's passed. Hope is gone. What kind of confusion do you think this caused Mary and Martha? To say, we thought the Lord loved us. We, we thought... You know what, I, I, I will not in any shape or form, but if you read Martha's response to the Lord, I believe you can hear in her not an accusation so much of the Lord, but some trouble about Martha. You remember Martha's the one that in Luke chapter 10 got scolded for being careful and troubled about many things? I just can't help but wonder, knowing human nature, not knowing what the Bible says, so I'm not preaching doctrine, I'm just telling you what I think, and that's not worth a lot, but I think it's worth pondering. I wonder if Martha thought... This is, the Lord's, this is the Lord's response to me because of how I, I did not trust him, how troubled I've been. I bet you I didn't get my prayers answered because I am so faithless and I'm so careful. And if I weren't so careful and I weren't so troubled, perhaps he would have sent and saved my brother. I don't know that Martha thought that, but if you read about Martha, it's very likely she did. And if you listen to how she responded to Christ, I'll show it to you in just a minute. I believe there's indication of that in our Bibles, that Martha was not accusing Jesus of having done wrong, but there's an insinuation that, Lord, I know that God will give you whatever you ask for, but it's apparent he doesn't give me what I asked for. I don't know that it's from bitterness so much as an understanding. She had been rebuked pretty sharply for being careful and troubled about many things, and she should have spent... Maybe Martha thought if I'd only spent more time at his feet, maybe he would, have, he would have answered my prayer differently. That's a dangerous way to think. We need to be faithful to the Lord, but we need to understand his working is not dependent on us. We must be faithful. If he's going to use us, we need to be faithful. But if we're not careful, we think, we think wrongfully. We, mis, we misunderstand the Lord and his dealings, and Satan certainly gets involved and accuses him and accuses us and seeks to cause discord between us and our Savior. Undoubtedly, though, we do know this from Scripture, both Mary and Martha were deeply disappointed. I don't find displeasure. I don't mean that. I don't know that they are charging the Lord with error, but you can hear their disappointment when both Martha and Mary come to Jesus and say, Lord, if thou hadst been here, Mary says it in verse 32, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. You can hear in them, we don't understand. You could have stopped this. You could have prevented this. And I appreciate the fact they were open and honest enough with the Lord to tell him their disappointment. I believe this, by the way. When the Lord has not responded to us in a way that we thought that he would or that we expected he should or in a way that we had hoped he would, we need to be honest about our disappointment and about our confusion. Lord, you did not answer my prayer. I don't understand. I know what you could have done. They're not saying, you didn't come, Lord, because you couldn't help. No, they knew he could help. If you had been here, you know what they're saying? There's some things you could have done in the past. 
If you'd, if you'd worked in the past, you could have made a difference. And so then there's disappointment on their part. May I say this? It is impossible. It is impossible to walk with the Lord for any length of time without Him disappointing you at some point. His ways will not line up with our expectation. You see, Mary and Martha had an expectation. We sin for Christ because He loves us. He hurries over here quickly. He'll touch our brother. We know He can heal the sick. We've watched Him do it. And so in their mind, the only solution for Lazarus was what? Delaying his death. Do you know what a healing is? There's, there's movements. That I was told today, I've never been told this before. I was told today, you Baptists don't believe in many things. I said, come again? <laughs> no, no, I was a Baptist years ago. I'm not a Baptist anymore because you Baptists, you don't believe in very much. And I said, well, I'm just going to have to disagree with you because I'm a Baptist and there's a whole lot I do believe in. And that's fine. And this is a, this is a, fan, a man that claims to be a Christian, but he's in a charismatic type of a church. And so there's an emphasis in the charismatic churches on gifts and healing and things we find in the Bible for sure. But an emphasis on that. But you know what? If God healed you of every... I, I met a man in, in Goodwill a few weeks ago and he asked me, did I believe in the healing gifts? He comes and first asks me and my dad, are you Mormon missionaries? I said, no, we're not Mormon missionaries. So what are you? We'd been at a preacher's fellowship. So we had shirts and ties on. So I explained. And he went immediately asked, do I believe in the sign gifts of Mark chapter 16? And I mean, no offense, but the man was wearing glasses and had a cough ever since he had COVID. And I just, the cynical part of me wanted to say, heal thyself. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I didn't. He was, he was my elder by far. And I just asked him if he'd ever considered how Paul had a thorn in the flesh, but he never got healed. It was one of the things we asked. My point is this. Even if the Lord healed us of every ailment we have tonight, you know what's going to happen? This is encouraging. We're going to die. So the best they thought Jesus could do is delay the appointment with death. And what the Lord wants us to understand is, no, I am, I am the victor over death. I'm not just here to help you have a better life until you die. I'm here not to give you a better life. I am eternal life. I don't think we grasp this. I really don't. I said we, not ye. I think we don't get a grasp on the fact that we literally tonight, friend, we have eternal life. It is in us by the Spirit of God. And so then the things that terrify us in this world should not so much. And my point is this night, they were, they were disappointed. That's the problem. Disease, delay, death, and disappointment. You could absolutely say Lazarus' death could have been prevented had the Lord chosen to do so. I mean, you know, Jesus didn't even have to travel to Bethany. All he'd have to do is say the word. You have to travel there. That quick, it could have been done. So they said, if thou hadst been here. Now, while Martha and Mary both had great confidence in the Lord, they're like many of us, it was not as great as the faith of the centurion who didn't want Jesus to come to his house. He said, no, just speak the word. You don't have to be here. Say the word and it's done. And so then the problem we see. Number two, uh, the promise. Jesus, when he meets Mary... Uh, or Martha, rather, he gives her a promise. And there's a few things we want to see about that. Verse, uh, let's back up just a little bit. The Bible says in um, verse 20, Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. I've pondered that verse and pondered that verse. And I thought, was she insinuating 
Lord, even now, if you wanted to raise him from the dead, you could. No, that's not what Martha was saying. You know how we know that? When Jesus says he's going to raise him, she says, well, I know you will one day. But she says even now, what she's saying is, I know you get your answer, prayer, your request answered. You're the son of God. Obviously, I don't get mine, but you do. Lord, I know that even now, whatsoever you ask of God, I believe what she's trying to say is, though I'm disappointed you weren't here, I'm not questioning who you are. I know that you you didn't ask God and he failed to give it. You can hear in her a confusion. I know what you could have done. I see that you didn't do it. And I know that even now you have a perfect standing with God the Father. And it seems to me she's insinuating, so if there's a problem here, Lord, it's not in you, it's in me. Anybody relate to that? So she says, I know even now whatsoever thou would ask of God, he will give it thee. Verse 23, Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. That's a promise. Thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So let's, let's, and you've heard this, maybe you've heard this preached before, maybe many times, but she said, if thou hadst been here, hadst is what? I know it's one of those very difficult King James words that's very hard to understand. Help me here. What does hadst mean? It's what tense? Past tense. If thou hadst been here, past tense, you could have done this. And Lord, I know that one day in the last day in the future, you'll raise him from the dead. You know what she's saying? You could have been my help and you will be my help, but right now you're not any help. How many times we do this to the Lord? We can see God's working in the history of Scripture. We hear of God's working in past generations. We think, man, if God had revived some churches a hundred years ago, America might have hope. And I don't believe it's our job to try to revive the country. Let's just focus on us being revived. Amen? But the fact of the matter is, if boy, if God had helped in time past, if the Lord had helped me three weeks ago, I'd be in a different situation. I know that when he comes again, things will be better. Look, he's not the great I was or the great I will be. He is the great I am. And we so often put the Lord's ability in history or we put the Lord's ability way out somewhere in the future. And the fact is because of what he's done in the past, because of what he's going to do in the future, that tells us who he is right now. He says to Martha, this is why he says in verse 25, Jesus and her, I am. It means she says, if thou hadst been here, and I know that he will rise again, but he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Meaning, I wasn't just helpful to you yesterday or four days ago, and I'm not just going to help you in time to come. Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, present tense, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Now, did Martha know her brother was a believer in Christ? Well, she did. She knew that for sure. So what he's saying is, look, the, the one that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall live, verse 26, and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Then he says, he asks her, believest thou this? Martha, do you believe what I'm telling you? He's saying, the one that lives and believes in me shall never die. Now, wait a minute. What does she know about her brother? He's dead. So he's saying one of two things. Either he's saying, your brother is not a believer in me, or he's not dead. She thought he was dead because his body was in the ground, rotting, four days, smelly. Won't she say that? So either Jesus is confused, (laughs) and I think Martha thinks he is because she says, Lord, he's been in the grave four days. She's still saying, you could have done something maybe a day or two ago, but he stinks now. 
How many times is the Lord not our solution today? He's, he's what would have been our solution. He will be our solution, but not now. And so, But the Lord's promise is concise. It's conclusive. He said, He that liveth and believeth in me uh, shall never die. Well, she might have said, Lord, but Lazarus died. No, he's, he knows what he's saying. And then he says, Believest thou this? I think he says the same thing to us tonight. The, the believer never dies? I got two grandpas that were firm believers in Christ, and they died. No, they're sleeping. Not dead. And I don't mean soul sleeping. I mean body sleeping. They're with the Lord. And so he asked, Believest thou this? He's, he's challenging her. May I say tonight, what is most important is not what we know, but what we believe. I say that again. What's most important to you tonight as a Christian is not what you know, but what you believe. You can know 500 verses in the Bible and believe none of them, and it's of no avail to you. But if you know one verse and you believe it, well, you'll get some help, and so will I. And tonight, the Lord says, I've just given you a concise promise. Your brother shall rise again. And he's trying to help her understand, I'm going to do something mightier than getting better from his sickness. He's trying to let her know, I'm going to raise him from the dead. Now! You know, you know this comes to us? Do you realize you and I could get our glorified bodies right now? The trump could sound now? It's not some way off event. It is pending. <laughs> so at his time, at his word, this mess is done and we'll be in his presence. We need to understand he is the resurrection. He is the life. And that's what he wants her to understand. So he makes a promise that's concise and conclusive and challenging. Martha, believe us now this. Now listen to her profession. Here's what she says, verse 26. She, he, he says, And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord. The first thing she says is yes. Now, you know how we just said her brother's dead. He said, whosoever liveth and believeth me shall never die. But she knows he's dead. You know what she doesn't say? Well, I might believe if you can explain yourself a little better. Because of what she's going to say next, she knows if it came out of his mouth, I believe it. Period. If it came from your mouth, I believe. I admire Martha. She gets a hard time. But when I read John chapter 11, I say, this woman got a hold of something. And that is, if he said it, I can go to the bank on it. I don't have to understand it. It may be confusing to me. The circumstances of my life may look, make your words seem backwards and confusing. But I know because I know who you are, I know that I can trust what you say. You know, I have confidence in my Bible tonight because I know who the author is. I understand corrupt men have gotten in the way and sought to pervert God's words. And I understand that they're still seeking to do so. But I also understand that the author of this book has promised to keep it and preserve it and bring our hearts and guide us into all truth. And so the fact that Christ is living tonight is what helps us to understand that He is superintending the process of His Word. He is superintending the building of churches. He's living. We're not alone he said, I will not leave you without a comforter. And so then we have the presence of the Lord tonight. Even as she did physically, we have him by the Spirit of God. And so he tells us the same truths tonight. So her answer, number one, her profession is settled. He said, believest thou this? And before even hesitating, she says, yea, Lord, uh, I believe. And then she's going to explain what she believes. Thou art the Christ, the Son of God, 
which should come into the world. May I say this? Her disappointment in his ways did not change her confidence in his person. He had not answered her according to her expectation. He had not answered her according to what she knew was his ability. But she is confident that he is who he claims to be. And therefore, if you say, Whosoever liveth and believeth in you shall never die, then yes, Lord, I believe it because I know who you are. She doesn't lie and say, Yes, I believe it because I can see it. She says, I believe it because you said it. Is that not what she's saying? I believe it not because I understand what you're saying. I believe it because I know who you are. Our confidence in God's word tonight, as you read scripture and you go, man, I can't wrap my brain around that. I can't fully comprehend that. How is this possible and how is that possible? Well, we can say this, but we know the author. He's the one who died for our sins and lives today. He is the one who has assured us of our forgiveness and of a home in heaven. We know who said it. And when you get settled that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He is the resurrection and the life, then you can just take whatever He says. Her answer, her profession is settled. Yea, Lord, it's specific. I believe that Thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. By the way, I don't think we understand what a profound statement that was at this time. Do you realize where she lives when she says this? There were those who promised, John chapter 9, two chapters earlier, if you made this a public profession, you would never be allowed in the synagogue again. If you confess that Jesus of Nazareth was the Son of God, not only be put out of the synagogue, banned from your place of worship, from your family and friends, but you might even be put to death. She's made up her mind, I know who you are. And though I am disappointed and not understanding why you didn't come when we sent for you, I believe what you say because I believe in who you are. And so then her profession was settled. It was specific and it was undoubtedly sincere. Verse 28, the Bible says, And when she had so said, excuse me, verse 27, She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had so said, she went her way and called her Mary, her sister, secretly. What I want us to understand, if you go on through the chapters, you very well know the Lord would raise Lazarus from the dead. He would tell Martha, have the stone rolled away. And she said, Lord, it's been four days. And he said, did I not tell you that if you'd believe, you'd see the glory of God? I'm paraphrasing. He says in verse 40, Jesus said unto her, said unto her, said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? I'm about to, I'm about to show you that your confidence in me is not misplaced. What we need to gather tonight is this. When you do not understand his ways, it is, it is vital that we remember who he is. And that we continue to have confidence that he is not the God of yesterday and he's not the God of tomorrow. Christ, because he's living, is the God of today. Right now, I am the resurrection and the life. He that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. If you and I can conquer through faith in our Savior the fear of death, we've gone a long way toward boldness and zeal in living for the Lord. And the Lord has allowed a difficulty in Martha's life to test her faith. And when it comes down to it, she says, I believe that thou art the Christ. Can I ask you tonight, do you believe that? How many of us say, well, you believe that Jesus is the Christ? Fine. Do you realize that fundamental truth, that's why he is the chief cornerstone. That's why faith in him is the foundation of everything else. Confidence in who he is will keep us on course in the midst of difficulties and trials that we don't understand. There's not a person in this room tonight, even children in this room tonight, that don't have things that make you question, have I believed the right thing here? 
Does the Lord not ever disappoint us? But if He is who He says He is, and that's not an if, then we can say, you know what? I believe you are the Son of God. And if you're the Son of God and you decide to let my brother die, I'm just going to trust you did the right thing. That's where God wants us. How can we do that? When we have absolute confidence today that He is the living Savior right now. I mean, let's know that He is aware of every word that's being preached in this building tonight. How do you know He is aware of every challenge to your faith in Him tonight? He is well aware. How many of you know that some of those challenges he has been able to circumvent and has chosen not to, to test your faith in him? Tonight, he is at this moment, the resurrection and the life. And our hope is not in the circumstances around us, but in the one we've placed our trust. The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17 through 20. Our hope in him, hope has to do with the confidence we have today giving us a great expectation for the future. Hope is not something we have in hand now, but something we anticipate for the future. But understanding who Christ is right now is what gives me hope for the future. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17 through 20. The Bible says, Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of His counsel, means the unchanging, uh, the unchanging character and nature of His counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. What do you think Satan might use, our great adversary, in the next few years to get people to turn aside from obedience to the Lord and faithfulness to His will and way in their lives. Don't you think it's fear? Don't you think He would love to intimidate churches like this one to stop proclaiming the truth of the Bible plainly and simply and clearly? Don't you think He would love to intimidate you to stop living a godly, openly public life for the Lord? And you know who used to do that? Fear. Fear of man. Can you imagine today trying to be a Christian in China? Or North Korea. I can't imagine. We're so blessed. And we're, so, we're so privileged to have the freedoms we do. But as Americans look down the road, we can say, boy, look to our neighbor to the north. You have some things going on up there. A little bit scary. People trying to live for the Lord and being treated as criminals. And we've seen some things the last two or three years. And what we might be tempted to do is out of fear of maybe not even death of our body, but death of our dreams death of, of our expectations, we might draw them back. But if we can get a hold of this, the worst thing the world can do us to us is destroy our body. But it can't kill us. Amen. This goes in line with what we preached this morning. And that is the truth of the resurrection. The truth and the power of the resurrection sets us free the, from the stranglehold of fear in this life. Here Mary and Martha are obviously filled with sorrow and grief as we all would be, and the Lord grieved with them. But he wants them to understand, if you had confidence in what I could have done, and you have confidence in what I'm going to do, then have confidence in what I'm doing right now. Now, how about us tonight? Is our faith in the Lord shaken because of our lives right now? He's maybe not answered our prayers or 
responded to our faith the way we thought he should. And we think, what, why? Look here. Right now, he's, he's the son of God right now. And therefore, his dealings with our life right now, whatever he's doing in dealing with you, it's perfectly right and good. Why? Because he's the son of God. You know, I believe Martha saw the Lord do a mighty work because she said, Yea, Lord, I believe thou art the Christ, the son of God, which shall come into the world. Meaning, I have not changed my mind one bit about who you are. You are still exactly who I believe you to be in spite of the fact that I don't, I'm disappointed you didn't save our brother's life. And oh, what a, how many of you would rather see him raise your brother from the dead than just get him off his sick bed? You know what God did when this is all said and done? God got more glory through his way than her way. Isn't the same with us? How many of us have said, Lord, work in our lives for the glory of and your glory and honor? It's easy to say that in a prayer. We've heard somebody else say it, and we say it and repeat it. But he will. He will. He'll work for his glory and honor because it's the only just and right thing that God should be glorified. He's the only one worthy of it. And his way will always bring him more glory than our way. May we understand tonight that Jesus Christ can be fully trusted and he can be fully trusted to deal with my life in a perfect manner tonight. Why? Because he is, right now, the resurrection and the life. Resurrection is not something that happened 2,000 years ago. It's something that is right now. And his name is Jesus Christ. The victory over death is in the person of Jesus Christ. May we walk practically in that confidence so as we face those things that lay question on who he is because of how he's dealt with us, may we answer with Martha, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ. Isn't that what you believe the day you got saved? I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God. I believe you have power to forgive my sins. Well, he also has power and wisdom to govern in our lives and deal with our difficulties according to his own wisdom. And I pray tonight, my heart's desire for this message is that in seeing this, it will renew our confidence in Him. He can and should be fully trusted. Mm-hmm.